Let us pray. God, you are our protector and our Lord. We've called out our requests and prayer to you today because we trust you and we know that you are good and you love us. And you have not only said these things are true, but you have shown they are true by your death on the cross. So today, God, as we seek you in this time of word, God, I pray that you help us to be open to the messages you seek to bring us through your spirit to encourage us in faith today. Help us to grow in trust. God, help us just to marvel at the wonder of your power and your ability and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we continue our series uh, from the book of Mark called Following the Servant King. And, and the hope in this series and the prayer has been that uh, God uses this time certainly to draw us closer to Jesus' example of obedience and service to the Father, but also our service and love to one another. And today we are in Mark chapter 1 in a message entitled Possession and Power. And so you're welcome to turn there in your Bible, uh, Mark chapter 1. So the focus in our uh, sermon today, I uh, was reminded of an account I, I uh, have noted at some other time in the past and uh, still sort of speaks to the day we're in today in our message uh, about a Christian mother uh, who once shared this account. My daughter, who was five at the time, had disobeyed me and was sent to her room. After a few minutes, I went in to talk with her about what she had done, and she was teary-eyed and asked this, why do we do wrong things, Mommy? And I said, this mother speaking, sometimes the devil tells us to do something wrong and we listen to him, but we need to listen to God instead. And... That woman's little daughter welled out through her tears, but God doesn't talk loud enough. You know, God is all-powerful and is all-able, but sometimes the way he communicates is quieter than the wails and the screams of the enemy that might call us away from God in clear and direct ways, but oftentimes in surreptitious ways that are hard to identify. And so today we will consider God's power in light of this reality of the enemy's work. Again, we're in Mark chapter 1, looking at verses 23 through 28. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, those who were listening, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is a miraculous event, in some ways startling, maybe even disturbing. But in it, you see the power of God on display in a clear and present way. And as you listen today, I want you to take hold of this story, certainly what's going on in it, particularly if you've heard it before you're a Christian today. I want you to try to listen and read and pay attention with new eyes maybe be revived in your thinking a little about the miracles that Christ performed. But I want you to especially consider this. If you can see Jesus do that, 
then what else does he have the ability to do? If he can do this, then what should that affect in respect to our worship of him? And so consider those questions today as we examine this account. Our first point of focus this day is that demonic influence is real, specifically considering verses 23 through 26. Now the term unclean spirit is used over and over again in the Bible to denote basically a morally impure spirit or a demon. So not the Holy Spirit, uh, but a spirit that has moral impurity. And so this man is possessed by a demon and has entered the synagogue. Now this occurs right after Jesus has been teaching. You remember from our sermon last week, if you didn't catch it, you can watch it on YouTube. But Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue. And so Mark tells us immediately after Jesus has finished this teaching, this man comes into the synagogue. He is possessed. Jesus at this time is likely a visitor here. We talked about how as he traveled from town to town, usually the synagogues would not have a permanent teacher. And so Jesus is just here in this city, teaching in the synagogue. This man comes in, possessed by this unclean spirit. And so whatever people may have known or not known of Jesus at that time, because again, some had likely heard of him but didn't know much about his ministry at this point. He was really beginning the process of ministering to them. We're told in verse 24, whatever people knew or didn't know, this demon knew exactly who Jesus was. And not just him, but when he says us, this demon is likely speaking for all of the demons. Sometimes there's accounts in the Bible that use the phrase us when it's a demon speaking, and that means that there are more than one demons possessing this man. But in this case, it's likely there was just one demonic influence or possessor in him. And yet this demon is saying that all of us know who you are, Jesus. Not just me, but everyone else. It was clear among the demonic world that Jesus had come and that things were going to change, whatever the impression of human beings were at that time. And so at this moment, this man was possessed at this specific account, this specific engagement, not yet cast out, but right now possessed. And that first meant this, that he was not a Christian. Because when you become a Christian, you are occupied inside yourself by God's Spirit who is guiding you. And if you are demonically possessed, you aren't occupied by God's Spirit, but instead a spirit of the enemy of God. And that Spirit doesn't guide you so much as it controls you. That's what possession looks like for someone who might be possessed by a demon. And this man was being controlled, speaking what the demon wanted, doing what the demon wanted. And he addresses Jesus, and he asks this question uh, you see there in our verses. Verse 25, following this question being asked, the Scripture tells us this, Jesus rebuked the demon, saying, Be silent and come out of him. This demon was no equal to Jesus, and he doesn't desire Jesus, meaning he here, Jesus doesn't desire to answer his question, which the demon actually already knows the answer to. Again, he knows who this is, and Jesus doesn't take time to address his question or dialogue with a demon about what he's asking him. This is one of those like moments in the scripture where you really get to see kind of a boss moment for Jesus. He's letting people know who he is. He's letting them know what's up. 
And so at this moment, he's crystal clear about who he is. He's not here to entangle himself with demons. He's not here to put himself on an equal plane with a demon. He's here to run things. And so he says in response, be silent and get out. Be silent and get out. Commands the demon silence and departure. Other religious leaders, by the way, at that time, also sought to exercise or cast demons out of people. But they did that with all kinds of rituals and all kinds of practices. It wasn't just with words. They would use all kinds of different resources and chants and other things to try to somehow conjure up the departure of a demon. But Jesus didn't need any of that. He verbally commands the demon, and as you note in verse 26, the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out at that moment. There was a survey done a few years back about the truths of the Bible, and it specifically focused on the religious beliefs of Christians or people who profess to be Christians in the United States. And in that survey, uh, this statement was made, the devil or Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Again, I'll say that one more time. The devil or Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. And then they asked the survey respondents this question, do you agree strongly with that statement? Agree somewhat? Disagree somewhat or disagree strongly with that statement? And the born-again, professed-to-be Christians population who answered that survey, 32% of them agreed strongly that the devil or Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. 11% agreed somewhat and 5% said they did not know. And so thus, the total number of people speaking to this survey, 48% either agreed that Satan is only symbolic or did not know. The reality is this, demons are real. And so is Satan, so is the enemy of God. Real beings, not symbols, not forces. Real beings. And for now, their influence in this world is significant and is powerful when matched against our influence apart from Christ. And possession can happen to people who don't know Jesus, and oppression by demonic forces can happen to people who do. And the enemy is crafty, much craftier than you are and I am apart from Christ. The enemy is crafty, able to deceive us in such a way that we sometimes don't even know it's the enemy at work unless we have drawn near to God. Including meeting us in practices where we attempt to interact with forces, and spirits, and guides, or whatever we try to call them today, which are all the more common in our day. Satan will masquerade as something else. Demons will masquerade as something else, and we will not know it without Christ and the Spirit teaching us. But we are grateful in this. If you know Jesus, you know the one that these beings cower before. The word rebuke in verse 25 is basically the exact same concept of when Jesus calmed the sea. And so you remember that account. If you're new to the Bible, you may not know it, but there's a story in the Bible where Jesus calms a storm just by his words. 
That's the same power at work here as Jesus casts out this demon. He rebuked it, quieted it, calmed it all by his words, and that is real power. That's real power. Amen? That's something. You listening today? That's something. Take stock of that, Christians, especially, again, if you know this story and you're super familiar with it, maybe it's lost its amazement for you. That is something. That's something. That's our God. Amen? And so by his words, that's real power. Demons may overpower us if we try to resist them alone, but they won't overpower our Savior. And so how do we apply this to our lives? This is our why, what, and how. Why does this matter? What do we do about it, and how do we do it? Why does this matter? Because the devil is real. Not just some force, not just a symbol of evil, but in fact a real being who can really affect your life in a very real way. Satan and demons are at work in this world. They are unseen beings who are as real as I am standing before you here in the flesh. And they're crafty and they seek to destroy anything they can, whether it be the life of a non-believer or the witness, hear me Christian, of a believer. They will harm us if they can and however they can. And so what do we do? Well, by the power of God, we must resist, not by your power or mine, because we will be in serious trouble if we think we have some ability to resist these forces. But by God's power, first, by staying close to Christ, staying close to his word and staying close to him. If we remain nearby him, we will have the ability by the Spirit in us to discern when one of these beings is at work around us. And then avoid all things associated with these forces. And that essentially means this, all things that have their origin in demonic work, or which might summon or engage with forces or spirits or things that are either called Satan or something else. And so what does that mean on ground level? How do we do that? Well, spend time examining the source of the things that you have allowed to have influence in your life. There are all kinds of things that have seeped into the culture, even in the church, now and even in, into the time ahead of us. We talk about things like superstitions, astrology, spirit guides, personality profiles, and many other things. And some of these things involve directly interacting with spirits that are not called Satan, but are not the Holy Spirit. And other things involve materials that come from people who produce those materials while interacting with spirits. And so it can be a 10-step process, but if the person who engaged with the enemy developed whatever they developed from that interaction with the enemy, and it got down the line from him to his dad to his mom to your mom to you, that's still the enemy at work in your life. That's still the enemy influencing you. And no, these things cannot be made godly. They cannot be sanctified. If their origin is from the enemy, they are no good. They are no good. In fact, if it's anything, it's a channel by which demonic forces can and may be interacting with you in your life. So examine its origin and then flee from it lest you be like this man here or at least oppressed by demonic forces. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, how do I evaluate that? What do I, 
what I do that, about that. Well, take some serious time looking at the things you've allowed to influence your life, teachers you've allowed in your life, books you've allowed in your life, online resources you've allowed in your life, and say to yourself, who are these people, and where are they getting their information from? It's a really serious endeavor. Even if it seems good, it can be dangerous. If you're not sure, then come and talk. Let's talk through it. And so again, for our first point of this uh, message today is that demonic forces are real. Our second is this, that they are no match for our king. Again, look with me at Mark chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, you remember from last week's sermon on the preceding verses from today, again, Jesus has just taught, and he teaches, the, the main thrust of what Jesus is doing here as he enters the synagogue and teaches uh, is to communicate that he is the Messiah that the other teachers have been talking about. He sets himself apart from these other teachers. We talked last week about how he doesn't quote rabbis because he himself is the source of truth. And so he preaches and teaches this truth. And he's associating himself with the word. You know, we talked about how he went into the synagogue. He could have done all kinds of other things. He could have found a place where he was going to be sleeping. He could have got a meal. He could have done many things we might do after a journey. And instead he enters the synagogue immediately. And he begins to teach, to associate himself with God and his word. Ultimately, he himself being the word, as the Gospel of John tells us. And then here he casts out the unclean spirit, and he does this not as some kind of magic trick. He's not here to impress anybody. That's not really what he's getting at here. He does this to communicate to those who need to see a miracle to trust him, that he has the authority to cast out demons. So certainly his words carry authority. Certainly his words carry authority. You know, really all of Jesus' miracles, by and large, are communicating that same message. If you for whatever reason, need to see a sign, here it is. So you can trust his word. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I trust Jesus. Well, we have a book full of the work of God. We have four gospels full of the accounts of the miracles that Christ performed. And so you don't have to wonder if his word has authority. He can cast out demons by that word. And that's the message he communicates to these people who watch him. So he speaks... He can be trusted, and when he speaks, it is so because he speaks as one with all authority and all power. We talked about that in some of our Sunday school classes today, that God, the Father, gave him this authority, and he has it and possesses it. And so you see the people in verse 27, they're beginning to get that. They are astonished to the point where they tell others, and Jesus' name begins to spread all across the region. This is all part of the plan to get people to trust Jesus' words because he has authority over demons, their power, the people listening to him. He has authority over them, us, and everything else. That's the power of God. That's the authority that he possesses. A former park ranger at Yellowstone National Park tells this story of a ranger leading a group of hikers to a fire lookout. This ranger was so intent on telling the hikers about the flowers and the animals that they passed, that he considered the messages that were coming in on his 
two-way radio distracting, so he switched it off. He figured what the other rangers were saying didn't matter quite as much as what he was saying. And so they neared that fire tower, and the ranger was met, and the group he was with was met by a breathless lookout who asked why he hadn't responded to the messages on his radio. A grizzly bear had been seen stalking the group, and the authorities were trying to warn them of the danger. I don't know what you think of Jesus or of his word, and frankly, Christians, I don't know what you think of Jesus or his word either. Because just because we profess faith in Jesus Christ is a matter of eternity, do his words and his authority stretch for you outside of eternity and into your everyday life? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Just because we profess faith in Christ doesn't mean we're following him as Lord. Let us be convicted of that if we aren't. But I know this, his word is absolutely true. Not because I say it is, but because he says it is. I cannot calm seas or independently cast out demons or speak things, and they are done. But he can. So what he might have to say on any other subject in your life, in my life, is something I want to hear, and I hope you do too. And I want to follow, and I hope you do too. We've touched back on the concept once or twice, but if Jesus has something to say about your life and my life, it is worth hearing, because if indeed he is the God that he is, if indeed he is the Savior we proclaim this morning in our worship that he is, if indeed he loves us the way that he says he does, then we need to hear him. We need to trust his authority over this world and over our life. Because this truth is all that matters and all that we need to live the way that we are ought to live, we're made to live. And that's true for me, true for this church, and true for every one of us who sits here today, listening online, anywhere this gospel is preached, it is true for everybody. And so this is our why, what, and how. What do we do with this section of our message today? Why does this matter? Because if he is in authority, he is king, king of our lives, king of this world, and he is a benevolent and good and gracious and kind king who loves us, died on a cross for us so that we might be co-heirs with him in this kingdom, the word of God tells us. So we must trust him and his word if we are to live as we were always meant to, the way that he made us to, the way he intended us to, before we chose to disobey him. And so what do we do? Well, let us marvel at his authority as we worship through song and enjoy this creation in our world, we talk together of the miracles of God as we have today. Let us slow down enough to see what we are meant to see. He is amazing and incredible and awe-inspiring, worthy of worship and praise. I've echoed a few times in this message today that some of us who have been Christians for a long time, unfortunately, we've gotten so close up on Jesus that we don't quite appreciate him like we used to. God, help us to marvel at him. God, help us to be amazed by our Savior. 
Yes, he is loving. Yes, he's tender. Yes, he sits with the children on his lap. Yes, he preaches to the widow. And he also casts out demons. And he also walks on water. Amazing. And so how do we do that? Well, let us start by meditating on the miracles of Christ maybe this week. Take time this week to slowly read through. I'm going to share some scripture references with you. If you've got a pencil, you can write these down. Read through John 4, 46 through 47 and see Jesus heal someone who was nearly dead. Again, John 4, 46 through 47. Read Luke 5, 1 through 11 and see Jesus create food out of nearly nothing. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Read Luke 7, 11 through 18 and see Jesus raise the dead. Luke 7, 11 through 18. And again, especially you church folk like me. Let us appreciate with fresh eyes the miracles and the wonder of our God and his ability. This stuff actually happened in real life, and it is incredible. So slowly and carefully consider these things this week and marvel at Jesus. Maybe make that a habit and a practice before you ever walk in these doors for worship. And I'll tell you what, that'll give your worship new life like you maybe haven't had in years. If you really get your eyes on what it is that we're doing when we come together to sing and to praise who this God is that we're praising and worshiping. So in this closing song that we are about to sing, maybe make this a real time of worship. Where you are exalting King Jesus. Following our invitation today, we're going to sing an additional song to thank God for the blessings of our nation as we celebrate the 4th of July this week. But I want to say this as well. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. And you're already moved to trust his word. Maybe you've caught a glimpse of the wonders of this God as he, before your eyes in this word, has cast out a demon. And you're saying to yourself, I want to know him. If that's you during this song... I'll stand down here at the end of this aisle and I want to encourage you to come down and talk with me about your desire to know this God and I will help you to meet him today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the wonders of who you are. God, in my life, Lord, build again that fire of amazement for who you are. God, all across, across this place, let us take time even in this song to just worship and exalt you with eyes of wonder, marveling at your ability, knowing that you have power over all things, including demons. God, we just thank you for your goodness, your majesty, your glory, and your wonder. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.